Welcome to the Life of Christ Series 4, Term 1, and we are up to Lesson 10. We are going to pick up where we left off on page 5. This is Chapter 14, when, uh, around about the middle of the page. We're at Luke chapter 5 and verse 29, uh, following Jesus' call. We're talking about Matthew, remember again, or Levi. Remember again, it said, he left all, rose up and followed him. And then the very next verse says, then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house. Now Craig A. Evans writes, indeed, the greatest banquet. Underscores further that in Levi's mind, a complete break with the past has been made. He invites many of his friends. He wishes to introduce Jesus to his guests and to make known to all his decision to follow the man from Nazareth. Now, now that's, that's actually quite significant. You know, a lot of people when they get saved, especially you know, if they've sort of come from a certain place, they don't want anybody to know. They just want the insurance from you know, hell and fire and all that stuff. Uh, and, and just want to sort of continue on. But again, I think Jesus saw this man's heart. Amen? And you, we can see now his actions are beginning to show this kind of man he actually is. And he's making no secret about his decision. Uh, this is just, this was the whole purpose of baptisms. Do you understand? You know, water baptisms and stuff? You know, it's not the water that does it and stuff. If you haven't decided in your heart to begin with, you're not going. No matter how wet you get, I've told people that. Okay, <laughs> all right. See, if you understand the significance of it, then you'll understand what's just happened. Just as much as a baptism is to let everybody know you've made a decision, you get baptized because you're going, not to go to heaven. Do you understand? Okay, this is the same thing. This is this in a very funny way. This is Matthew or Levi's baptism. Do you getting this? It was his way of saying, I've made a break. Come meet the man who I'm going to be following from now on. You know, and Matthew didn't falter. Amen. Well, he's writing, you know, the gospel. Hello. Okay. <laughs> all right. So, <laughs> all right. And I want you to see that he did something to mark his break. He did something to let everybody know of his decision. He did something to solidify what he had done. So not only has he broken all of his ties with the Roman government, he has let all of his friends know whether they like it or not. This is who I'm following after. I'm imagining a lot of interesting conversations took place that day. It's like, are you kidding? Matthew? He got religion? You know how people talk. You know? <laughs> okay? God, yeah, man, the guy got religion. You know, are you sure this guy's changed? I don't know. I, know. I knew when he was. He goes, I know, I know. But, you know, something happened. Hallelujah. In fact, as Leon Morris, quoting Ryle, says, a converted man will not wish to go to heaven alone. See, he was trying to get all of his friends to meet Jesus. Something wonderful had happened to him, and he wanted to let them know this is available to whoever. Amen. So, continuing next into, uh, in Mark chapter 2, and verse 15, since it's more detailed, so we're going to jump to Mark's account now. It says, it happened as he was dining in Levi's house here, that many tax collectors, and Luke says, a great number of tax collectors and sinners also sat at the table together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, and look at what happens. They followed him. Is this going to make any difference to the religious leaders? No. 
all they're going to see is he's sitting with sinners, tax collectors, and all that stuff. See, again, you know, they were, isn't it funny? I told you, I said this to you before. The more you have to hide, the more you pretend. It's really interesting. The less you have to hide, the more you're willing to associate with people of questionable repute. Can I say that? Okay, all right? Because what you want to do, see, you're not afraid of them influencing you. Are you with me? It's, it's always faith or fear, by the way. There's only two things in operation. All right? So much of the time. Not all the time, but you understand what I'm trying to say. Okay? Basically, everything runs on one or the other. Jesus had faith. The religious leaders always are walking in fear. Isn't it interesting? And faith always looks to believe. Fear always looks to doubt. Arkent Hughes says, Levi evidently had a big place, and it was packed out. And there reclined... <laughs> I love this. And there reclined pure Jesus in their midst, eating, drinking, and conversing with these lawless, materialistic compromisers. Don't you love that? <laughs> okay? Because, you know, they used to not sit up at, you know, they wouldn't sit in a chair like you're sitting right now. They'd kind of recline back. And it was all very, very relaxed and very, very casual. The, la- and the only thing you're missing is, you know, somebody dangling grapes over you. You know what I mean? Okay, okay you get the picture now. Okay. <laughs> William Hendrickson writes, It may seem strange that, that many tax collectors and sinners, despised people, would be reclining at the table with Jesus. Nevertheless, it is the truth. They were reclining with Him because they had began to see in Him a friend, one whom they were beginning to follow. Isn't that beautiful? Huh? I think that is so beautiful. He wasn't sitting there judging them. He sat there. And see, this is, can can I just say, this is, you know, I want to take a little bit of time with this because this is about how do you act around people? How do you behave around people? All righteous, upright, snooty, and I'm better than them, or someone that they feel safe around, and they know what kind of person you are. You compromise nothing, and yet you love them, and you sit with them, and you chat with them, and you genuinely show concern for them. Of course, this was utterly unacceptable to the scribes and Pharisees, who happened to be passing by and noticed Jesus through the wide open doors, socializing with the worst of the worst. (laughs) And so it says in Mark chapter 2 and verse 16, And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said, how many people got saved today? Because their concern was with salvation of people. They didn't care how things looked. They were <laughs> You're going, dude, it's not in there. I know. I know I'm making a point. Are you getting the point? It's incredible. That the one thing Jesus said, don't do. People do. They look and they judge immediately. And the judgment is always based on this kind of overall kind of, we saw. You didn't ask any questions. You had no knowledge about something. You just saw what you thought you saw. And you made up your mind. Isn't it interesting? 
let's, let's continue. I, I want to say more, but let's continue. So again, he says, and when, when the scribes and Pharisees saw Jesus eating with the tax collectors and sinners, that they approached Jesus' dis- disciples after the banquet. Okay, I'm adding some things here so you know what all actually happened. Okay? And they said to his disciples, why, now this is from Luke's account, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And then they accuse Jesus and say, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Or as Mark simply puts it, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? Okay, three things have ha- there are three things that have happened here in a sense. Okay, well two things, but three different versions. Okay, what we find here, and this is why when we have three Gospels, we get different eyewitnesses. One of the things that you'll find, uh, let me take a minute here. The most suspicious story is the one that sounds the same from everybody. Did you get that? That's when you come up with a story that you say, now we'll all need to keep our stories straight. Okay? When you want to get away with a crime. If you don't, then you all have your own version. <laughs> okay? Some way, somehow. And in th- through the midst of all of that, you'll find the truth. And usually it is truth seen in different ways. Okay? Different perception. Okay? So, and, and you always find that different things will strike people in different ways. And they will talk to you about the thing that struck them the most. Did you hear what I just said? Okay, That's why you'll always get any story with a bias. And it will be with regard to what that person felt was important. They'll tell you that part. Okay? Alright. So what we see here is that Different, two different, generally two things happen. Number one, and so different people uh, report different things. Number one, in Luke, they ask the disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collecting sin? So, you know, what they're doing is, first of all, attacking the disciples and saying, how come you have anything to do with this? Are you all with me? Okay. The next thing that they do then is, and do you know the scribes and Pharisees? Do you notice there was more than one scribe and more than one Pharisee? Okay, So there's a bunch of them. So I wouldn't doubt if some of them asked one question and others asked a different question. Again, each according to what was important to them. Because a leader will normally ask about the leader. The followers will usually talk to the followers. You know what I'm trying to say? Are you getting kind of where I'm coming from? Okay. So I'm just thinking that there were two different things happening here. As Arkent Hughes so comically puts it, when Jesus reclined at the table... With the collected low life of Capernaum, the, <laughs> the hand-washing exclusivist Pharisees went into orbit. In the eyes of the scribes and Pharisees, it was an un- unforgivable disgrace for Jesus, who claimed to be a teacher of the law, to, to disregard their time-honored customs. See now. For to eat in this way, reclining on couches, with a man meant friendship, and therefore full acceptance. So they criticize the disciples. See, they're not good. they generally don't win their fights with Jesus. In fact, William Hendrickson says that the words, Why is it that your teacher are full of stinging reproof? As if to say, shame on you for having accepted such a man as your teacher. Getting this? 
Their intention was, of course, to undermine the disciples' confidence and loyalty toward their master and teacher. But the slur of the Pharisees and the resulting embarrassment of the disciples had been duly noted by Jesus. Here we go. And so it goes in the say, Matthew chapter 9, verse 12. When Jesus heard that, he said to them, See, he, he, you know, he won't leave, he won't let you get pummeled. Okay? Always know he'll come to your rescue. <laughs> Watch his, his response. Those who... Now remember, they're over there somewhere. I'm imagining Jesus yelling this out to him. But you know, they're, they're accusing the disciples. Remember they were going past. They're not invited to this party. Can we stop for a second? Jesus is reclining. Okay, he didn't suddenly unrecline and he was at the door. So he's reclining. They're at the door. They're accusing the disciples. Yeah, can, can you believe this? Dude, it's not your party. Move on. Do we all think it's a bit rude? Okay, but you know, these are scribes and Pharisees. They want to stick their nose in everybody's business. All right. So, <laughs> I almost think Jesus is only yelling this out to them. He says to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, as Leon Morris puts it, with unanswerable logic, he, that is Jesus, pointed out that it is the sick, not the well, who need the physician. And his business was with sinners. See, this is what had happened. Religion had gone so far off track that they no longer had anything to do with sinners. Now, you know, that's like, that's like a doctor saying, staying away from all the sick people. Do you all see a problem with that? The whole point in being a doctor is to go in to places where people need to be treated. Okay? The doctor doesn't just keep himself well and away from all the sickness. Also, as William Hendrickson points out, when he, that is Jesus, associates on intimate terms with people of low reputation, he does not do this as a comrade in evil, but as a physician, one who, without in any way of becoming contaminated with the disease of his patients, must get very close to them in order that he may heal them. In fact, as Robert Munger so wisely wrote, the church is the only fellowship in the world where the one requirement for membership is the unworthiness of the candidate. Amen. <laughs> All right. But of course, Jesus did not leave people in their sin. He called them to repentance. In fact, it was the first thing that he preached immediately following the, the devil's fails attempt to tempt him. Remember Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, where he says, From that time Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All right, so what we need to understand is that Jesus knew how to talk to people. I, you know, I almost wish that they recorded the conversations that he had at Matthew's place. Wouldn't have that been an awesome evangelistic tool just to watch Jesus, just to see how he communicated with them, the questions he asked them, the things that he said to them that got them engaged, that wanted all of them following. You know, that's why it said they all want to start following him. They might have gone there a little bit like, oh, I don't know what to make of this Jesus dude, you know, turn Matthew around like this. But what's interesting is as they got started talking to him, as they listened to the conversations he was having with the people around him, they felt more and more comfortable and more and more accepted 
And they, I believe that they began to realize he wasn't laughing at them. He wasn't looking down on them. He wasn't make any, making any little slide remarks like they know people do. He was genuinely heart to heart talking with them. Caring about them. And he was one of those people that you want to go and say, let me tell you about my kids and my family and this is what, you, you know, you're not one of those people that you just want to share your heart with. Those are the people that will get saved. Amen? See, because you're looking for people to give their heart. If they give it to you, they'll give it to God. Got it? Got it. Okay. Let's continue. Written in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus now goes on to say to these self-righteous, fault-finding scribes and Pharisees in the first part of verse 13, but go and learn what this means. He's going to throw something at them. This phrase was commonly used as a rebuke for those who did not know something they should have known. Okay, so whenever somebody said this, it was the rabbis would use things like this. Alright? If, if, if they should have known something, then they will use this phrase. In other words, they say, you should know this. I shouldn't need to be telling you this. That's where it's coming from. Okay? So he says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Now, only Matthew records this. Now, what does this mean? Dear Lord. Okay. William Hendrickson writes, Here, as once before, we have a quotation from the prophecies of Hosea. That's 6.6, okay? I've, uh, I think I've... Yeah, I've got it down there, all right? Notice the bottom of the page? It says, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Okay, all right. So, this time, however, it is Jesus himself who quotes the scripture. Briefly, among the sins committed by the adulterous nation were such abominations as robbery and murder. It is easily understood that in such a context of iniquity, bringing sacrifices amount, amounted to sheer mockery. This amounted to dead ritualism, loathsome to the Lord. Do, do you all understand what's going on here? Religion without goodness or kindness is worthless. And so Jesus tells the Pharisees, to go and learn that lesson. That's the lesson. Religion without goodness or kindness is worthless. Get it? Alright, and so he says, go and learn this lesson. And that is to reflect on it and take it to heart. He's saying, you guys are so busy judging people. All your religion means nothing to God when you're behaving like this. Amen? But not only were they mocking God with their sacrifices, they were neglecting the very thing that they were commissioned to do. Bring people to God. So William MacDonald writes, Although God had instituted the sacrificial system, He did not want the rituals to become a substitute for inward righteousness. Okay, stop here. Alright, there we go. Okay, This is a really key thought. We have to be careful that we are not doing good things to make up for the bad things that we're doing. See, when you do something wrong, God wants you to repent. He doesn't want you to ignore that, sweep it under the rug, and go do something good, because now see, God, I've done something good, so I don't need to repent for the bad thing. Can I just say, that doesn't go away. No matter how much good you do, God is still waiting for that sorry. You're with me? And I've just noticed in society, in kind of the business world, people don't apologize. 
Have you all noticed that? Have you noticed that they, it's like a, a sign of weakness if you apologize? And sometimes you'll actually get told off for apologizing. It's a thing. Except it's so ungodly. And so against the scriptures. You're beginning to see then where this is coming from. You begin to see what's behind it. And we need to be really, really careful. Because, see, it isn't a sign of weakness when you say you're sorry. It is actually a sign of strength. And especially if you're not the one to blame for it. And some people feel like they've got advantage over you because you said sorry. Even though it may be true in the natural to a degree, in God's eyes you've opened the door for blessing to continue in your life now. While they haven't. Are you all with me? And can I say that if God's working in your life, things will work. And He'll continue to bless you. You know, that's like I said to you before, God is not looking for perfect people. Just honest ones. Amen? We, we all make mistakes. Hey, you know, I put my hand up. <laughs> just when you think you're in a good place, and then you just... And you think, okay, we're still human. We, have, we are not the fourth member of the Godhead yet. <laughs> you know? No matter how you think about yourself, you ain't there yet. Amen? <laughs> okay, alright. And don't we need Jesus for that? And don't we need to remember those times... When others are going through something and they need your understanding. Amen? Alright, I started this. Can I reread it? So William McDonald again says, Although God had instituted the sacrificial system, He did not want the rituals to become a substitute for inward righteousness. He is not pleased with the rituals divorced from personal goodness. Did you get that? He is not pleased with rituals divorced from personal goodness. Precisely what the Pharisees had done. They observed the letter of the law, but had no compassion for those who needed spiritual help. They associated only with self-righteous people like themselves. Got it? Therefore, as Leon Morris says, Since they lacked compassion, and thus failed to comply with the standards taught by the prophet Hosea, who they professed to honor so highly, this failure meant that, in fact, the Pharisees actually belonged among the people Hosea condemned. <laughs> okay? A startling accusation for these so outwardly religious people. In other words, Jesus said, you are the people that are sinning right now. You need to get your act together. So to summarize then, Jesus' ministry to the ceremonially unacceptable was an act of mercy. The Hebrew Hasid, that's a Hebrew word Hasid, a word rich in meaning and conveying the idea of strong covenant faithfulness and love. And that pleased God more than the Pharisees' fastidious attention to sacrificial offerings. Which is what Jesus was trying to get across to these religious men when he quoted from Isaiah 6.6 where God said, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Amen? Alright, I'm going to leave it there, because um, with the next verse, we're going into another section, and we're going to talk about something there. Alright, do you have any questions as we close? No? Okay. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we thank you today for all the things that we're learning, and Father, if anything, Father, we're learning here today that we need to be very careful in how we judge things, 
and how we see people. And Father, we just thank you that right now, if there is anything in our heart that is causing us to have a log in our eye, we just thank you right now that you show that to us, you reveal that to us, Father, because we don't want to be outside of your will in any area of our life. We want to be people that are a blessing to whoever we meet. And those around us can feel safe around us and share whatever it is that is going on in their life, knowing that we are not there to judge them, but to help them, pray with them, and do what Jesus did. We thank you for all the wisdom that is coming with the insights we are gaining in the way that he handled people and handled situations. And we, we thank you, Lord, that we're getting away from all the religious ideas about what Jesus might have done. And we're getting to see exactly, actually what he did. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.